Is it genuinely possible that in as little as 15 minutes, somebody could have their lifelong anxiety and trauma completely resolved? Now, I was very sceptical of this, and so I had Scott Lester Woods on the channel, on the podcast. Uh, Scott's also known as the High Performance Therapist, and he's talking about a process called Superconscious Coding, and where he goes into detail about what's causing these anxieties and traumas and how he can eradicate them. And so this podcast has been very, very um, popular, and it's really worth checking out. And so this is just going to be a short clip of some of the conversation we had today, so I hope you enjoy that. Now, if you're interested in working with Scott after you see this, he is at capacity at the moment. However, if you click on the link below um, and use the code TADB10, you will get a 10% discount off any future sessions that you have with Scott. So enjoy this conversation. Put some comments below. Let us know how you find this. Absolutely fascinating. I've known Scott for a number of years. I've heard a lot of his clients' testimonials. Really, really blows me away every time. And so fascinating, fascinating stuff. And remember, if you want to watch the full thing, you can pop on over to the, the Breathcast channel and or listen to us on Spotify, iTunes and all those good places. Here is Scott Lester Woods. Cheers. How did that turn into superconscious coding? So maybe give us a bit of a flavour of what is superconscious coding and yeah. um, then we can dig into some of the results afterwards and some of the case studies, I guess. Yeah, sure. So um, I, I think to, to explain superconscious coding, it's probably best to um, maybe give people a framework of what most therapy is based around and some general parts about the mind um, of terms that I'll probably be using a lot in this conversation, like the conscious and the subconscious and the superconscious. And so the conscious is generally the, the seven points of focus you can think of at one particular time. So right now, as we're speaking, right now, someone's listening or watching this, they might not be thinking about the feeling of their feet on the floor until I mention it. And suddenly, oh, that, that feeling was there the entire time, but now I'm consciously aware of it. So we've normally got around about four, five to nine points of attention that we can consciously focus on something. But beneath all that, you've got this whole other system at play that's uh, making your heart beat 10,000 times a day, that's allowing you to breathe. Obviously, you know better than most people in the world that breathing is one of those things that happens subconsciously, but we can hijack it and take conscious control over and, and so subconsciously, there's this entire other system that's occurring. And so most therapy uh, that exists is based on the framework of a client comes to someone, normally a therapist, it could be a psychotherapist, a counsellor, a hypnotherapist, and they're presenting a problem. And the problem that they're presenting is only that of a conscious level. The issue with that is that what we're aware of consciously is based on a massive iceberg of other things. So someone will say, I have low self-esteem um, and a therapist might try to dig in. And when they're digging, when they're guiding them, when they're learning, what they're really doing in short is trying to bring stuff from the bottom of the iceberg to the top. And then based on the stuff that's brought to the top of the iceberg, that's at the surface level, um, that's the work that they do. If someone does meditation, very often they're meditating based on the thoughts that arise consciously in that moment. Very often if someone's working with CBT, it's one of the thoughts that are consciously arising in that. Counselors will try and dig into the past and fish out all the things that have happened in the past and bring that to the awareness consciously. The issue is, is that as humans, we're pretty bloody complicated. And so what we sometimes think might be the problem might not actually be the problem. And so we're working on a very, very small amount of what could be the issue, which means that when we're trying to make a solution happen, we're doing it based on the knowledge that's brought to the top of the iceberg. And so you know, someone will say, I want to feel more confident. 
or during parts therapy, which is sometimes a hypnosis, pro a sorry, a hypnotic process, someone will say, I want to speak to the part that's responsible for X, Y, Z. Um, breathwork is a wonderful way to be able to bring stuff from the bottom of that iceberg up to the surface. I know that you said when you did a, a recent rebirthing experience, suddenly there was this memory that came up of, oh, when I was at camp and there was this whole thing to do with my stomach and, and that came up, that was always there. And subconsciously, you always knew about it, but consciously that was brought to the surface and that was given a re realization. And so very often, most therapy is based on the premise of why and hopefully trying to dig as much of that to the surface as possible because the idea is once you know why something happened, why something happens, then you can work out how to change it. And superconscious coding is basically, and again, this was a shock to me because this is this flew in the face of the baseline of everything I was taught, is that the why is pretty much irrelevant in almost all cases. I've had people who came to me, I'll give an example of a lady who came to me who went through a sexual trauma and who, frankly, being totally blunt, could not masturbate without crying. She knew exactly why that was the case. She knew exactly why she had no sexual confidence. She knew exactly why she couldn't go into that next relationship feeling safe in who she was and feeling like she had the self-worth to bring to that to make it a flourishing relationship. But that didn't change anything. And she went through two years of psychotherapy trying to process this um, to, to only find out that she hadn't really moved forward. She, she maybe made the illusion of progress. But actually, when she still thought about that thing, there was still residue, there were still feelings there. Um, and it hadn't allowed her to move forward towards a, a, a positive future. What superconscious coding is, is the ability to say, let's not work on the stuff that you're telling me consciously. Let's get another part of you that already knows all of this to go do it for us. And this leads on to a, a really, really interesting idea that right now, as we speak, you've got a son that's away from around about uh, a month of being born, which is an incredible thing to witness. But there is no doctor or scientist that knows that when you have that fertilized egg and it splits into two or four or eight or 16, why is it that this cell over here of the 16 or the 32 knows to become a head or, or to become part of a head? And why is it that this part knows to become part of a foot? And um, the information within all those cells is the same, but where does the signaling start that makes that cell go over here and makes this cell become part of this? And there's lots of different theories, whether you follow um, Rupert Sheldrake about morphogenic fields or um, Bruce Lipton stuff about it, it coming from a, a field outside. This is still something that's quite debated. But the theory about that is that a little bit like when you cut yourself, your body knows how to heal that. And no doctor or scientist knows every mechanism from the very start, the very finish. We know so many of the mechanisms involved in that, but the very first signal and how your body knows how to do that, that's still in the ether as to being able to know that from the very beginning to the very end. And so what that tells me, and, and probably a lot of other people, is that your body knows innately what's right for it. It knows what's appropriate. It knows what the right homeostasis is for it to flourish. And if your body didn't, then I would never have any clients, neither would any other therapist. The reason that someone's turning up is because they know something's telling them that something's wrong. Um, no one's ever, as far as my knowledge goes, uh, has ever had PTSD from receiving a kind deed or giving a kind deed to someone. There is this innate uh, knowing of, of something that's good or something that's maybe not good or bad, but appropriate and not appropriate, that health blueprint. And so 
what most therapists do is they take what we know consciously, what we've brought to the table consciously, and then they've tried to, like a chiropractor, jam these things back into place. They try to 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 jam that anxiety back where it belongs. They try to, to to jam that negative thought back, and they try to do this normally consciously. Hypnosis will deal with this subconsciously. Um, sorry, is this is this making sense so far? Is this, keep going, keep going. Yeah. And there was this wonderful lecture. If anyone follows any NLP, uh, it's not a process that I really use much uh, anymore. But training with Richard Bandler was was an interesting experience, and and I de- there's definitely tools that came out of that but if you watch any of his early lectures he talks about a chiropractor who was getting extraordinary results with people and what he would do is someone would come in and they'd be slightly off balance and most chiropractors would jam that leg back or or jam the things back in place so that okay that person's walking straight again what this chiropractor would do was he would put them even more out of keel so their brain would go something is really wrong and then the body would just completely straighten itself back up to the way that it was originally supposed to be. And so there's this idea of, okay, there's this innate intelligence within you. When people talk about the conscious and the subconscious, one of the analogies that I always liked was, um, if you and I are talking at the back of a bus and we're driving down a road and we know that the fastest way home is if the bus driver turns right, but the bus driver keeps turning left, you and I can sit at the back of the bus we can bear and we can complain and we can journal and we might even speak to other passengers on the bus and every passenger on that bus might know that actually we know why he's going right he thinks there's an obstacle up ahead on the left but he doesn't realize that that road work that was going on it's gone now so he can sorry sorry he, he's, he's been going left could be going right um but he knows that the obstacle has been uh he doesn't know that it's been removed he doesn't know that it's quicker to go that way it doesn't matter how much the passengers Moan and complain about that. Unless someone talks to the bus driver, then the the bus isn't going to turn. And so what the subconscious is, is the idea of when someone does hypnosis, for example, is it's saying, let's grab your hand, let's take you from the back of the bus, and let's just speak to the bus driver. So once the bus driver knows, well, then he'll go, of course I want to get home quicker. Of course I'll turn right. Just no one ever told me. So, So that's the subconscious. What I refer to the superconscious as is the very bus station itself. It's the thing that gives the orders to the bus driver and maintains the passengers that works on the engineering of the bus. So what I do, um, different to any other hypnotherapist, every different therapist that I know, is I have a completely hands-off approach because I know that that body, that brain, knows what's right for it and it knows all the things that are wrong, uh, all all the things that are inappropriate for that person uh, and it knows how to heal them. And so what lots of people do is is they'll go in and they'll try and guide someone through a metaphor or they'll do altered states and they'll try to use particular words to trigger certain positive things and they'll use that person's conscious language back to them in the session to build rapport which is a wonderful tool of course but what i do is is i ask that superconscious if it can see everything that's involved with something so every memory every belief every part every aspect if chakras exist, any chakras that are out of a line, if past lives exist, and I'm, I'm not sure if they do, but if they do, we want to make sure we incorporate this. Everything that's involved with, let's say, anxiety. Anxiety is normally a good one. A lot of uh, your audience are, are stressed and using breath work for that tool. So as opposed to this one event that happened when I was seven that I'm talking about, it's every memory that's ever been involved with anxiety. 
It's every aspect and asking that superconscious to find it. And we set up something called idiomotor signals. So the idea is that person's finger will start moving all by itself to let me know we found it all. And then I'll simply ask that superconscious, is it safe to treat it all? Is it safe today to treat all aspects? 99% of the time it says yes. When it says no, and I say, are there parts that can be healed today? It says yes. So again, it's all within the permission. It's all within the field of that person. And then I ask it to treat it. I don't say how to treat it. I don't say treat it at this speed. I say, just treat it. Treat it at the appropriate rate for you. And once that happens, someone wakes up and the belief, the identity of, let's say, anxiety is no longer there. It's been healed. And the issue that I've um, said about this that I've brought to you is that these are the most transformative experiences that I've ever seen in someone. But they're also the most underwhelming. Not for me, but for them. Because what mostly happens in therapeutic practices is someone will make a change based on um, based on an old identity. So someone might be an anxious person very often. Someone listening to this will definitely resonate. But, well, I've always been a worrier. I've always been an anxious person. That's me. For as long as I can remember, that's, that's just me. I'm just an anxious person. And so they'll go to therapy and they'll do that to have the behavior or the thoughts of a calm person. But they'll be doing it under the guise of an anxious person. And so they might feel amazing for a week, for a couple of weeks, because they're an anxious person feeling calm. That's a wonderful thing to feel if you're feeling anxious. So to experience that, you know, to, to be in a heightened state of stress, that's one of the reasons that breath work is such a profound thing and people come back to it. It's, I felt this way, I remember feeling this way, and I went through this process, and just a few minutes later, I feel like this. And then based on the way that we're sitting, based on the way that we're breathing at night, all those things that you know much better than myself, um, they start to go back to that that feeling again. And what this process seems to do, and, and again, I, I don't say this with arrogance, I say this because I'm blown away every time it happens, and it does happen. And you know, daily, I get to see this, by the way, um, is that that anxious person will wake up, or they were never asleep, but they'll open their eyes at the end of this session, after the coding session, and they won't feel anxious. They won't be able to find that anxiety if they try, but they won't even be able to find the identity of the anxious person. So they are completely underwhelmed by the experience because they're not an anxious person that feels calm. They're just a calm person. And a calm person feeling calm isn't exciting. <laughs> That's just normal. So people go through these experiences, and what's interesting is they still remember, logically, the idea of being an anxious person. But this really, they don't connect with it because they just don't know who that's who they are. It's like if a friend told you um, that they're anxious, that they're stressed, you would understand that. You don't resonate it because you're, you're not your friend. And so the, these are sort of the, the powerful changes that have been made. And that's the difference between someone being able to make a change and someone making a transformation. It's all making such a shift that actually it's not... <gasps> Or it's like, you know, the clouds open and I was blessed by the angels. It's, no, I, I close my eyes as me and I woke up as me. The version of me that's waking up is the version of me that was always calm, was always confident. Um, and, and you get to see amazing things. The lady um, with sexual trauma that I mentioned, two years of psychotherapy, 15 minutes, by the way, it took for me to suddenly get the weirdest and most wonderful message I received the following day. I've been masturbated for four hours and it's been glorious. Um, and the idea is that, again, She'd been doing this for two years. She'd be journaling. She'd be trying different therapies. But the idea was that 
it didn't seem that overwhelming. It was weird at first because what the hell do you do with this? You know, when that anxiety or that stress has been there, like a toxic ex-partner, I don't like it, but I know that they're there. Every time I think about this thing, that thing reliably shows up. And what do we do with that when that thing doesn't show up anymore? Instead, we just feel normal and okay. And that can be quite overwhelming. The actual transformation itself is extremely underwhelming to people. In her mind, she's, well, of course I must be. I've got, of course, I want to be able to do these things. That's that's who I am. Um, so again, that, that that's a very long rant, but hopefully there's some substance in there to be able to pick apart and understand maybe what some of the primary differences are and why I'm being blo- so blown away by this.